In this episode, I am once again joined by Morgan O. Smith, teacher of non-duality, and under the stage name Mr. Mo, was a stand-up comedian and host of the Gemini award-winning television show Buzz. In this episode, Morgan discusses his latest book, Bodhi in the Brain, a guide to meditation using Morgan's Yinergy method. Morgan describes how he developed the method, as well as its role in his own awakening journey, and shares the results of applying it in schools, prisons, and in his role as a youth worker. Morgan also reveals how it was that he integrated the devotional path of Bhakti Yoga into his spiritual life what he has learned about the power of the Guru's Shaktipat energy transmission, the necessity of purification and catharsis, and the transformative effects of awakening the heart and not just the head. So without further ado, Morgan O. Smith. Morgan O. Smith, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Steve. Thank you for having me once again. Well, I'm so delighted to chat with you again. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And today we're going to be, I suppose, celebrating publication of Bodhi in the Brain, uh, your, your latest uh, book. So first of all, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That was something in the making. Um, information in that book was always trapped in my head. Uh, of course, I had a lot of uh, rough notes and things like that throughout the years. But of course, my uh, editor, Natalie, um, got me to put it down on paper, which I thought was going to be a huge chore, which it was. Um, even though I got the the rough information on it out, out of my head very quickly, but the process, the eight month process of going back and forth and, and making sure that everything was right. Um, that was more of a challenge. So, but I'm glad it, it's out of the way and I'm on to my next one. So, <laughs> so, you know, hopefully that works out well and, and all that. So thank you. Well, that was my first question, actually, my first line of questioning. How was it that you came to put this into a book? I wonder if you might talk a bit about the process. Well, a lot of it, the bulk of it was really based on the personal experience, whether it was with myself and my other participants. Because I have like, um, throughout the years, there were a few hundred participants too that were involved in this. Um, no one out of the group went all the way, the 13 levels, because with the uh, energy uh, meditation, there's 13 levels. And I'll explain why there's 13. Um, so no one's gotten throughout the 13 except for myself, but throughout the years, uh, many people have done at least the first three levels. So energy purge, and there was a, a second level and the third level after that, that most people got through the highest. I think people have got through at this point is uh, level around level six, around level six. Uh, one of my participants, Tremar, he's around level six and my, um, my uh, colleague and business partner, uh, is also like around the level six, but other than that, and a, and a comedian, a, a friend of mine around that level was stopped around that level, but everybody else like around level one, level two, level three. And, um, I, I recorded a lot of their responses and based on, um, the results they got from it. And of course, the people that I worked with, the students that I worked with in the school system and the people that I worked with within, within the community as a youth outreach worker, um, which I would use in my sessions and people that I worked with in the in the prison, in the legal system, and um, and so on and so on. So a lot of it was based on 20 years of of, of work that I've been doing, because I've been doing this for over 20 years. And then with the, my participants and clients, I've been working with them with this technology for the last, it would be about 17 years now. Unigy wasn't even created yet at that point, but I was using this technology about seven years ago, around this time, actually. Yeah, my one of my first, my one of my first um, clients outside of my family was um, a colleague of mine, his wife was the first person to try out some of my earlier trial and error 
um, prototypes. Um, and then I worked from there. And then after um, after working with other clients and, and so on, uh, I changed the technology and then learned new things about brainwave entrainment. And then I added in vortex-based mathematics, which I, which I was really intrigued by. And so I added that in as well. Uh, and, and so on. So a lot of it was based on my personal experience and the, and the work with others. And after when came to putting the book together, a lot of research had to go into it to just to just to verify some of the stuff that that's in the book. But um, the bulk of it had to do with my work um, personally as as um, a person doing this type of meditation personally, along with my clients and participants throughout the years. A lot of writers have particular routines, you know, getting up at a certain time, writing for a certain amount of time, or a certain number of words or something like that. Did you have a particular writing routine? How did you approach the actual writing process itself? At the time, because the rough information I got out within a two-week period, because um, I don't know if I mentioned this before. I may have mentioned this. Um, but when I first started writing it, I started writing it a few days before meeting with my dear friend and guru, Paramahamsa. Paramahamsa Vishwananda. So it was like, I started three days prior to that. And then I met with him again. Uh, it was uh, September of last year, uh, September 3rd of last year. He came back to Toronto. I met with him again. And after he did his blessing, he did Darshan on me and all that. Um, I just had the spark of getting everything done. It, it was it was insane. I just went back after being blessed by Paramahamsa Vishwananda. I went back and um, all this stuff started pouring out of me. Because uh, I had some difficulty, challenges trying to get the stuff out of my head. And all the stuff just came pouring out of me. Um, I didn't have an actual routine. I didn't like wake up in the morning and start and said I had to write a thousand words a day or anything like that. But what I did do, I carried my work, my my laptop with me at work. I, every, every break that I was able to take, I would take it. Uh, some of the people would laugh. Some of my colleagues would laugh at me because even... If I took small breaks, I'd pull up my laptop and I'd be writing, I'd be typing. They're like, what are you typing? I'm just like, I'm working on a book. I'm like, you're working on a book now? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I got to get this out of my head. There's something in my head. I got to get it out. So I did that for a period of time, uh, through, that, 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 within that period of time of writing every time I could. During my lunch breaks, I was writing all of that. When I went home, when I got home, I, I would write. And I just kept doing that until I got it all out. And then it took a number of weekends of trying to polish it up, at least my version of polish. And but it took a while, but it, I didn't actually have a routine where I said, I'm going to wake up every morning and work on this for a half an hour. I didn't do that because I don't have that kind of discipline, except when it comes to meditation. But I just did whatever I could within that time period. And then after when I put together the rough manuscript and I sent it off to my editor, that's where the bigger challenges came out, because then she had to start challenging me based on what I was saying and, and things of that sort and make certain things more clear. So that took a bit a bit of time. It was about an eight month period going back and forth. And of course, I'm still bursting with ideas. So as we were going through the manuscript and trying to polish it up and, 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 and get it into something, some form of structure, I would hit her up and be like, oh my gosh, I have another idea that I haven't thought about. Uh, or there's this theory about so-and-so. I want to incorporate that into the book. She says, like, bring it on. Um, you know, you got to pay me, but bring it on. <laughs> so I did a lot of that. And, um, uh, and then we went back and forth with uh, with the actual final edits and and, and all that. But yeah, uh, my biggest problem is I'll have these bursts of of creativity, and I have to get that information in the book somehow. And so sometimes we have to restructure the book just so that the the ideas that it came up with would fit. You know, a lot of that happens. So that's the time of uh, that's the type of um, writer that I am. Uh, not necessarily a set routine, but very spontaneous in how I go about my process.
Very interesting. And you mentioned you're you're working on your next one. What, what's that yeah, about? And then we'll go back to Bodhi in the Brain. Uh, the next one's going to be more philosophical. So um, the next one has nothing to do with meditation per se, but it's uh, this one is probably going to be called um, Awakening Paradise. So it's actually a book that I started writing back eight years ago. You know, I was working on this eight years ago. So I wrote the actual rough draft for this book, but then I felt that the book was too short. And I didn't want to release it as an ebook. I wanted to release it as, a, as an actual paperback um, a book. So I put it aside for many years and I went back to it a number of times and I, I re-edited the book and I put back information, removed information, decided to put it back in. And I was never satisfied with the actual uh, rough manuscript. So after doing um, Bodhi in the Brain, I was working on some other writing projects and then I decided to go back to... Um, this book, which is called, um, should will probably be called Awakening, Awakening Paradise, which originally it was called Seeing Paradise. Originally, that's what it was called back when I when I started writing it back in 2015. Uh, so, I'm excited about this one uh, as well. So I finished the manuscript for this one, um, but again, burst of creativity. <laughs> I decided to come up with some bonus chapters, and I don't know how to fit those bonus chapters into the actual book. So it will probably remain as bonus trap chapter. So I'm working on that now. And then I have to go through it a number of times again before I'm shipping that off to the editor. So that, that should be called Awakening Paradise. That's the, side, that's the title I decided to go on. But something may happen. I may go to sleep tonight and I wake up in the middle, middle of the morning and I want to change the title. And <laughs> that, can, that can totally change. But right now, as we stand, it, it should be called uh, Awakening Paradise. And that book is about um, heaven on earth. That we're actually experiencing heaven right now, as we as we speak, and now that, I, because I started that process, 2015, a lot has happened since 2015. So I had to add some of that new information, or based on um, some of my insights and, um, and um, yeah, some of the insights and information based on what I've come to since then. So I had to make some changes within the book because a lot of that book was past information and uh, past experiences and things that I didn't know I was ever going to experience. So I had to try to find ways to incorporate that into the book to some degree at this point. So it's going to be a little different than the version that I that I created back in 2015. Very cool. And I know from our last discussions here on the podcast, you've got several others uh, that are in the queue to be conceived. Yeah. And so uh, yeah. um, it's going to be a lot coming, I think. From well, hopefully, hopefully. It's, start, it's starting to get overwhelming because I'm coming up with all these ideas. So you're right. Uh, there was another project that I'm working on, but I had to put it aside. So I started it months ago, and that one's going to be probably called Playing the Field, which has to do with unified field theory. Um, but at this point, I'm not too sure where to go with it, because some people are saying that 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 uh, information in regards to how it applies to spirituality is played out. So I was just like, uh, should I go along with this? So I'm trying to see if I can find another angle uh, with this one. So I'm going to get back to it at some point. But that one is called uh, uh, Playing the Field. Should be called that. And I'll see how I go about that. And there's other projects also coming up on the I have another one, which is in the rough stages, which is called um, uh, Swallowing Vedanta. And I'm talking about the different Vedanta traditions within Vedanta, including Advaita Vedanta, which I belong to. And I wanted to talk about um, how um, the different schools of Vedanta can be unified so that we can have like um, an integral uh, Vedanta uh, system um, that is universal. And that, because um, I, I find that what happened to me in, in December of, of 2019, uh, that it wasn't just about the one philosophy. Um, all of them were included, and all of them were right from different standpoints. 
And in that moment of my realization, I realized that um, that all religions, all philosophies, all ideas uh, play a role in this. And I'm just trying to find a way within my human existence how I can make that, um, how I can verbalize that somehow. So that's another project. That'll be years down the line. So I don't know when I'm going to release that. And I have some work to do on that one. There's some changes I need to make on in that. But um, and there's other projects as well. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's so many ideas that I have in my in this. Uh, hard drive right now as we speak so <laughs> see where that goes how important is the blessing of your guru in these kinds of projects i don't necessarily mean or maybe maybe he has green lit these things uh, i don't know if you've even had that conversation with him but the blessing the, the darshan that you receive from him how important is that uh to this process and to what you're doing if you if you know me well i was a person that was always not against the whole guru thing I just didn't, I used to laugh at the idea when people say, I'm going to go see my guru. I'd, I'd chuckle. I'd be like, see your guru. Why do you need to see your guru? You know, you can have a direct experience with one that's right now as we speak. And I still believe that to be true. Um, what I didn't realize that um, there was many different paths. And I did want it, I did choose the path of direct experience, but I didn't realize that after dealing with Bhakti Yoga, that um, being blessed by a guru or receiving a Shakti Pat. Um, can make such a huge difference, even within your direct path. So any of these projects that I'm working on doesn't have anything to do with the guru per se. It's not like I went to the guru and said, um, I'm working on this project. Can you bless me and help me with this project? Nothing like that. I actually never give them any information. Uh, a lot of people that come with me to these uh, darshans, they have information that, or they have something that they're working on. So they will, they'll give you a note and you can write it on paper and you can write anything on paper and you can give it to the guru and he will read it and he'll use that information to do whatever that he does. But I never do that. I just show up. I just show up and then he looks into my eyes for 20 seconds. Um, the last time that I went to see him, which was about a week ago, over a week ago, I, I went to see him in, in New York. So um, we went down to New York. So I saw him two weeks in a row. So he came back down here in August, August 26th uh, in Toronto. Uh, so we went to see him. I got blessed from him then. And then a week later, uh, the September 3rd, September 3rd, we drove down to New York, met him again. And, uh, this time he looked at me and he goes, hold on a sec. Didn't I just see you a week ago? And I'm like, yes, I was here. Yeah. Was, you saw me in Toronto. And he goes, you came all the way down here to see me. And I was like, yeah, we all came down to come see you. And he said, and he was really, um, grateful. And, um, I felt like I got an extra blessing out of that. And then we just hopped back in our vehicle and drove back home. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I, I actually, when I go to get blessed, it really has to do with get, going deeper and deeper into my spiritual um, direct experience of absolute of absolute non-duality, of absolute oneness. That's what I really go for. That's always my intention. Any result that comes out of that is, a, is just an extra bonus. It's, a, it's like icing on the cake. So, yeah, so I, that's what I do. But I, I never go down there to say, okay, I'm working on the material. I'm working on some material. Please bless me so I can go through the process. I never do that. My... My thing with the guru is always has always has to do with a uh, direct experience with uh, absolute oneness, uh, spiritual enlightenment, spiritual awakening, and to bring me even closer and closer uh, to that. Even though I said last time or the time before, I think in our first interview that I don't feel that there's anywhere else to go. I still feel that way, but I know there is more. So I continue with the process because meditation is something I will do for the rest of my life. I continue with the process because I know that when it comes to spiritual awakening, there is no end to this. So I just want to see it all the way through. So every time I have a chance where I can meet with the guru, I'll do so. But I still continue with my practice every single day. I, again, I haven't missed a day of meditation in over 20 years. 
right? And that's my practice. That's something that I will always do. All the other stuff that happens, if I meet with a guru, if I meet with someone who um, um, transmits uh, Shaktipat, if I have the time and the energy, I'll go. Uh, sometimes it's really just for the fun of it. Uh, and plus, I just enjoy it. I enjoy the different cultures, the different traditions. Um, and always just bring some richness to my experience, uh, to my human experience. Uh, but it's not, it's, but it's not like blessings is something that I'm relying on. Um, but it's an extra, an extra oomph <laughs> to the practice that I'm doing. And I do feel the difference, especially after every time I do get blessed by Paramahamsa Vishwananda, um, a physical purging happens. Every time I go, the same thing happens. Uh, how many times have I seen him now? In person, I've seen him three times. Online, I must have met with him at least, gosh, five or six times online and every single time there's a purging that takes place so something is happening whether it's a placebo effect or that's what's actually happening my thing is the result seems to be the same so yeah i yeah so i just add that in but uh, yeah when it comes to writing and any of my projects uh as much as i always want that extra support and an extra boost my purpose when i meet with the group is to is to bring me closer and closer to um even though i, I i'm claiming i still claim that i've have direct experience with 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 Parabrahan or Parabrahan. Um this thing is endless. Absolutely endless. So <laughs> trying to see it through within my lifetime before my next one. If there is a next one. The goal is to end it here, but I don't know what happens after this. Yes, that's very interesting that you're you've integrated or included this bhakti path into into your into your i suppose practice that's very interesting indeed the way you're describing that uh, in the book you mention you're talking about in one of the sections uh, seven layers of energy body and uh, this sort of thing and you mentioned that when the emotional body is worked with there can be physical symptoms of various types so when you mentioned purging, it made me think of that. So I'm wondering if you might say a little bit more about what do you mean by purging? Are these physical symptoms you're talking about? Um, and do you notice any change in your thoughts or your uh, consciousness or your emotions after such a purge? That's very interesting. Um, what I was just mentioning was the physical purge. So physical symptoms will happen. So like what could happen, it could be digestive. It could be um, rashes appearing on your body. It could be uh, it could be emotional where you start crying for no reason. You want to make sure you're in a private place when that happens because you don't like it's not the coolest thing when it happens spontaneously anywhere. You know, you could be anywhere and all of a sudden you start crying. But that could happen. Burst of laughter, that could happen as well. Um, physically, it could it could be vomiting. You wake up every not every morning, but you wake up certain mornings and you just have this need to vomit. And it almost feels like not not the same intensity as a ayahuasca vomit. Because anyone who's ever experienced those knows what that's like, and that's just when you have a psych, uh, um, um, an ayahuasca type of vomit, that type of purging. That's not what happens, but it's just a, a regular uh, sense of a, a need to vomit. Um, and that happens with me a lot. So they say they say um, that um, all these different types of purging and physical, whether it's pur uh, physical, emotional, mental, are is the is uh it's the expression of the unconscious mind the unconscious mind is trying to express itself and it will express itself in in numerous ways so when it comes to the to the to the subtle bodies again you have like your you have your physical body that's the gross body you have your um ether body you have your astral body and of course the ether body uh i would say is more of your like your um your prana body so if you work with a, a chi master uh, they're working with your prana body, your 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 ether body, 
but there's also your astral body. So for those who are into astral traveling or the soul leaving the body, that would probably be more your astral body. And then you have your, um, then you have your, you have your, these are part of the subtle body. So within the subtle bodies, you also have your emotional body. And your emotional body has to do with, um, of course, emotions. So you have your emotional body and um, that house also has to go through a, a level of purging because when it comes to the Kundalini awakening, if you if you get to have one, um, these these bodies have to be cleared. So there's something that's called the nadis, N-A-D-I-S, and these nadis have to be purged. They have to be cleared out. And these nadis are connected to the physical body, the emotional body, the mental body, and so on. So you have to do the purging of the emotional body, which has to do with all your emotions, positive and negative. And then you have your mental body, which has to do with your intellect. That has to be purged as well. And then you have your um, causal body. And your causal body is more like karma, your karma body, cause and effect. There's some purging, a lot of purging that has to happen there. And then of course, you have your non-dual body. But your non-dual body, all the bodies I just mentioned, there are no distinctions between any of them. So at your non-dual level, there are no distinctions between any of those bodies. And there are no uh, distinctions between your subtle bodies or any other or anybody else's subtle bodies. All of those are one and the same. And if you can get through the purging uh, process through all of that, then a person can have a true, genuine, full-blown uh, direct experience of realizing not just being Brahman, but really being the absolute of all Brahman. Because there are many different types of spiritual awakenings. And uh, most people don't have the full-blown spiritual awakening because it's too much for the psyche. Because there's probably more purging that needs to be done within the, the mental body. So all that stuff has to be purged. So once that stuff gets purged to that certain degree, one can have the experience of um, of all subtle bodies, uh, from gross all the way down to non-dual, within all human beings, within all creatures, within all microscopic creatures, macroscopic, all bodies of water, body, uh, planets, solar systems, galaxies, um, the, all the different dimensions within that. So we're in the third dimension, but you'll have the experience of the fourth dimension, fifth, all the way up into absolute, absolute infinity, all the way through. But of course, the subtle bodies have to purge. That's why it's really important when it comes to the purging of the subtle bodies from the physical, all the way down to non-dual is always, there is no purging that needs to be done in non-dual. But for you to realize non-dual, you have to have the purging that leads to that so that you can have the, the spiritual awareness of all things, of all of all things, all time, all places, um, all dimensions, all all everything. Yeah, and also I should say with the emotional body, what's so important about that is that it's the opening of the, the, the heart chakra. So uh, some people want to have a, a, a peak experience or even up to awakening. A lot of it is in the head. Like someone will point to like, oh, the crown chakra and all that. A lot of that can be in the head. But there's something very special when that happens in the head, but also when something happens within the heart and the gut. So if you're able to open the gut, open the heart open the the head like the crown chakra and the the, the third eye chakra and all that all of that happens um simultaneously there's something so special and so rich about that which now why I'm, I'm more drawn to um um bhakti yoga because bhakti yoga is the yoga of love the yoga of um the yoga of uh, devotion and that's why I started I'm starting to understand now why people are are driven by this type of yoga even though all yogas are equally valid um but there's something really special about the heart but you can't do anything about the heart without the head they're all they all they're, they're all needed they're all um 
have its have its place. One's not greater than the other. My 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 thing is for uh, my message to everyone is you have to open all of them. Very interesting. I'd like to return to some of those themes, but first of all, let's talk about your book Body in the Brain. You very kindly sent me mm -hmm. uh, this copy here, and this is about the Energy Program. Now, in the previous episodes, we've had two episodes together, and both of them fascinating episodes. In the first one, we focused a great deal on your own personal story in terms of your spiritual journey and your uh, various awakening experiences. Uh, that was very fascinating. And then we did another episode which focused, it, we also talked a lot about that, but we talked about it within the context of your creative journey as a comedian, as an artist, um, and now, of course, as a writer. So we've talked a bit about energy already. In fact, we've talked in quite a bit of depth about energy. I wonder, though, for the record, seeing as that's what this book's about, if you could give a brief explanation of what is energy, and then I'd like to proceed a bit more deeper into the book. Well, energy is um, a brainwave entrainment program. So it's based on binaural beats and monaural beats. So if if you're if for people who are hearing about binaural beats for the first time, they've been around for for a very long time. So binaural beats goes back to gosh. Uh, at least 1973. So that's how far they go back um, with the discovery of, um, of uh, binaural beats. So it was based on a paper um, by um, Gerald Oster. He wrote a paper called um, Auditory Beats in the Brain. And in this, uh, in this scientific paper, he was uh, breaking down what he uh, realized about what happens when people are, are being exposed or being stimulated by sound frequencies. So he realized that uh, if you uh, took um, a frequency, an alpha brainwave frequency, um, which is below beta. So let me just mention that there's different states of um, of uh, um, different states of consciousness within the brain. Uh, so your brain is giving off these electrical um, is giving off electrical activity, and they happen at different hertz. So there's beta, which is your waking state, which is which we're probably in right now. That would be beta and then after if you close your eyes uh especially for meditation you start to fall into an alpha state so your brainwave starts to slow down in alpha he realized that um people learn better within the alpha state which he would call super learning so if you if you uh played these beats at an alpha range at an alpha frequency range for people for a period of time they realize that they can remember information better so you can they could be, be fed they could be fed information within that time period and they, they can recite more information when they're in alpha. And if you go down into theta, which is a slower brainwave, you can fall into a meditative meditative relaxation. If you slow down even further, you can fall into delta. And delta is the range where um, uh, a lot of hormones are being released at that level. Um, you can have the experience of oneness, especially if you're more advanced at that, you can have the experience of oneness at delta and so on. And if you can slow down the brain even more, uh, he didn't cover this in his paper, but there's um, um, epsilon, uh, which is a slower brainwave that's slower than delta. And in epsilon, uh, in epsilon, mystical experiences can happen in epsilon. So by slowing the brainwaves all the way down, different experiences can happen. And if you speed them up, just say like, just say right now, if we're in the beta state, uh, that's the waking state. But if you want even faster, you can go into gamma. And if you can tap into gamma, which is around 40 hertz, at least starting around 30, 40 hertz, some say it's 30 hertz. Well, let's give or take, let's say 35. Uh, you can tap into, um, you can tap into, uh, you can develop your, your compassion and empathy in, in that level. 
So actually years ago, just before I became a youth worker, I was working with Gamma. Uh, like prior, I, I, like just something I just thought about uh, a few months ago where uh, I started working with Gamma with brainwave entrainment. And it was like, oh, like two months later, I became a youth worker, which was very weird. So I just want to throw that in there. So Gamma is very important in that stage. But there's even higher than that. Um, above Gamma, there's Hyper Gamma. And then above Hyper Gamma, there is um, there is Lambda. And Lambda is, is about uh, like 100 uh, hertz to 100 hertz to 200 hertz in Lambda. So um, my, my theory, my belief is that within Delta, uh, uh, Epsilon, uh, Gamma, Hyper Gamma, and Lambda is where all the crazy juicy stuff happens within that state. But of course, if you're having a full-blown spiritual awakening, which we call enlightenment or call um, Nirvikalpa Samadhi, or if you want to call that Tariya or even up to Tariyatita, you're most likely producing all of these brainwave states simultaneously as one as one thing why you experience something like that but um yeah so the energy itself is based on these um um frequencies so binaural beats in itself um a lot of people get confused about this i actually had people who called me to ask me the difference between uh different types of frequencies because they wanted to make uh, binaural beats themselves people who are more technical so i, I have to make it i have to make it known that we're focusing on a beat frequency. So if I took a pitch frequency, uh, just say if I took a pitch frequency of, um, uh, I don't know, 12 hertz in one ear, and I played another pitch frequency of, of um, 11 hertz in the other ear, within a five, minute, a five minute period, my brain will slow down to, well, this wouldn't happen ideally. It's only because it takes a while to get to Delta, because what I'm explaining is Delta. It actually takes about 20 minutes to tap into Delta with this method. Let's just say, um, um, ideally, that you did tap into a Delta state. You would fall into um, a brainwave state of 1 hertz. So if I played a frequency of 12 hertz in one ear and 11 hertz in the other ear, it will play the difference. Your brain will um, will make the, will do the, make up the difference of the two, and it will fall into a state of 1 hertz. If your brain is stimulated to 1 hertz, um, it would be the equivalent of a, a meditator who's actually meditating who fell into a state of 1 hertz. Um, within the, within that person's meditation practice, so binaural beats is is a way to get the brain to do all the stuff that um, advanced meditation would do, but within a shorter period of time without the extra effort effort like doing a mantra or staring at a candle flame or anything like that. So you can put you can use this type of technology, and it's really really great for beginners to to help them with uh, meditation. Uh, and you can do this without any traditional method. You can just do binaural beats on its own and achieve all that stuff. But I come from the school of um, I come from the school of cross training. So uh, my my thing is, you can do brainwave entrainment, um, but combine it with something. So you can do brainwave entrainment with a traditional meditation, or combine com combine it with uh, neural feedback training, uh, weightlifting, uh, cardio, um, contemplative prayer. Um, in, uh, self-inquiry, uh, things of that sort. So when you cross-train, you get even more out of it. But binaural beats in itself is a standalone type of meditation that people can do. And you can do this on a regular basis and achieve a whole lot uh, without the cross-training. But it was just like with any method, cross-training, whether it's with yoga, Shaktipat, Darshan, uh, the results are even greater. So, but yeah, so energy is based on um, binaural beats, which is a form of entrainment because there's many different types of forms of entrainment. Um, binaural beats and binaural beats are two out of the different 
types of brainwave entrainment. But what makes us special is uh, we lower the carrier frequency of a, of a binaural beat. This is something that a lot of people don't do. So a lot of uh, companies will just make a binaural beat, and they uh, and they and they'll um, they specialize in that. So they'll make a binaural beat. And they'll say, okay, this binaural beat is at um, I don't know six hertz, and six hertz will if you do this every day, six hertz will bring you um, more relaxation, more this, more that. Uh, my goal is transformation. So um, Bill Harris realized years ago. Um, Bill Harris, who was the founder of um, Centerpoint Research, uh, his thing was. Um, how do you lower the carrier frequency of a beat? So just like how I just said earlier, if you had 12 hertz in one ear and 11 hertz in the other ear, um, that would be a lower carrier frequency as opposed to just say if I was playing in, I was playing uh, 20, 22 hertz in one ear and 21 hertz in the other ear would still give you a beat frequency of one hertz, but it's at a higher carrier frequency. So, the, if, so if I lower the two tones of the two pitch frequencies, it will give me the same beat frequency, but at a lower carrier frequency. And a lower carrier frequency has a higher amplitude, and that higher amplitude has a, a more um, has more impact on the the two hemispheres of the brain and the and the uh, the electrical activity that happens within the brain. Uh, so it's the same beat frequency, but at a at a higher amplitude, which has more impact um, on the on the the brain itself. You've designed these thirteen levels with these various modifications and. Uh gradations through these 13 levels and the practice is to put the headphones on and sit in a quiet place i assume through the duration of the audio program that's the practice is there any other uh technique that is involved with with energy i understand you you like yeah. to do different techniques anyway but when when you're doing energy itself um you sit there and listen and and so how does that process work for the practitioner well there's a, there's a number of things that happens within an hour session so again, with other uh, uh, with other um, companies, they may just make a, a, a frequency. So it's like, this is alpha. And then you sit there and you listen to alpha for half an hour. Um, our goal is, because the thing is, the reason why I don't use that method is because I don't want you to just have an experience because I can put you in a certain brainwave state and you can have an out-of-body experience. That could happen. It could happen to almost anyone. Uh, but that's not my goal. My goal is, how can we get you to um, evolve? To, tr to actually transform how can i how can i actually get your emotional self your mental self and your spiritual self to evolve so what bill harris realized years ago that how, what what if you took a person and you brought them down the different brainwave states gradually so when you put on uh, energy for example you start off at a beta state because you're already in your waking state you close your eyes and you automatically start to go into an alpha state naturally without headphones um, but when you put on the headphones, especially listening to energy, it takes you from a high alpha, it slows down to um, a theta state, it slows down even more to a, um, sorry, slows down to an alpha state. It's, yeah, gosh, I'm mixing up, it's so early in the morning. <laughs> you start off at a high alpha, and it brings it down to theta, and it slows down even more into delta. And, and it keeps you in delta for 40 minutes. So within the delta state, uh, it's believed that the most, the most amount of push will happen in the delta state. Because in the delta state, you're tapping more into the unconscious mind. So in the unconscious mind is where all the stuff is. All the stuff that's holding a person back from evolving, especially for people who've been meditating for many years, um, they could be stuck because of all the repressed um, repressed uh, um, material that's been stuck in the subconscious and the unconscious mind. So what we do is we keep you in delta. In this particular case, we keep you in delta for 40 minutes. 
so that um, the limbic the limbic system gets stimulated. So all this stuff that's stuck in the limbic system of the brain will get released. So, so that's the purpose of, of, of Delta. And of course, if you do this over and over and over again, uh, what happens is if you can get a lot of this stuff out, um, you'll even have an easier um, chance of having, like say, for example, a mystical, a true genuine mystical experience because the reason why some people can't reach there is because of the stuff that's happening within their within their um, subconscious and within their unconscious that are holding them back. So the release of that, if you can release some of that stuff, uh, you can allow the psyche to to transcend um, itself into these higher states. So we take you from alpha down to theta, keep you in delta for forty minutes, and then over time, a lot of this stuff starts to come up to the surface. And some of them are pleasurable, and some of them are uncomfortable. So it just say, for example, if you're holding on to anger, to so say certain um, anger issues have happened, um, anger has happened to you in your past and has caused some form of trauma, but you've pushed it aside and you've kept it buried because you have to, you know, carry on with your life and you have to, you know, be a social creature and you have to, you know, go to work, go to school, um, do the aid, uh, you know, do whatever it is that you have to do. Um, you're not focusing on the stuff that you've pushed back, that you've pushed it in this unconscious part of the mind. So when you use um, a program like, say, for you, like energy, uh, and the focus is on the, the the delta state, you're now stimulating that part of the brain that will release itself. And again, it will release itself. It can release itself in many ways. It can release itself physically, emotionally, or you can have outbursts where you're just crying a little bit. You have some catharsis. Um, it can happen mentally. Um, so that if you're continuing with your with your spiritual path. Um, you'll have an easier time of, of of getting there, and also having a full, a more blown, um, uh, uh, a full blown expression of whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. So that's why taking you from a state and bringing you down into delta is necessary, because I can't just give you a a, a soundtrack of just delta. Uh, delta is a very hard brainwave state to achieve while awake. So by gradually taking you from alpha down to delta, which takes about twenty minutes. And then I can prime you for Delta. And then you can actually slip into Delta and you stay there for, for 40 minutes and, until the end of the actual session. And that will be your one hour session in Delta. Well, 40 minutes of Delta within that hour session. And the same can be done with um, Epsilon or Epsilon. I don't know what the term is. The Epsilon, Epsilon, whatever it is. Um, same thing can happen. I can bring you from Alpha, Delta, Theta, keep you in Delta for the, for the remaining, um, well, I keep you in Alpha for 10 minutes theta for 10 minutes, delta for 10 minutes, and then bring you into a, a, a epsilon for 30 minutes. And that will go even deeper by purging even more of this stuff that's trapped in that part of the brain that's responsible for uh, for epsilon or epsilon and and so on. So you can do that. But you can even slow down the beats even further. You can even go down to um, iota. There's even other brainwave states that are slower that will tap into uh, deeper parts of the brain as well. Um, but that's the, that's the basis of what energy does. So the purpose is not to put on a, a set of headphones and have an experience. The purpose is putting on a set of headphones that has a gradual, that has gradual brainwave entrainment that will slowly um, purge the different parts of the brain uh, down into the, the limbic system where a lot of the purging needs to take place um, over a period of time so that you can um, reach a state of catharsis and so that you can release yourself from a lot of that baggage that you've been resisting so that uh, you can further, you can move further into your your uh, spiritual evolution. So the catharsis is in the service of these breakthrough spiritual awakening experiences, which are inhibited by the stuff. 
in the limbic system and the emotions and so on in the unconscious mind in theory uh, but that's what it feels like as a practitioner myself who's been using this for a period of time a lot of that happened especially in the early days um for me it was anger uh, i think i believe i must have mentioned that in the first uh, our first interview where i mentioned um i have anger I had anger issues and that helped me a lot it took a few years though uh where that purging had to take place and now it's very difficult. I can still get angry, but it's very difficult for me to have a, an angry impulse uh, in that because of all, all that work that I put into it, which I'm really, really thankful for. Let's talk about that. Uh, the book is called Bodhi in the Brain. In the Brain. And here you um, ask the question, what is Bodhi? And you say, put simply, Bodhi, Sanskrit for enlightenment, refers in the Buddhist tradition to the experience of awakening or enlightenment that is achieved through the practice of meditation. Said to be liberating and transformative, it's a state of complete freedom from suffering and from the cycle of birth and death, in which one is said to be in absolute harmony with the universe, yet as the universe. You say there are many ways to achieve Bodhi, but one of the methods I can personally vouch for is with energy meditation. If we take the frame of things that have been let go of, we've talked quite a bit about that already. Have you gained things as well? Is that sense of a sort of accumulation of, uh, of, of something? From my personal experience, I don't feel like I've gained anything, (laughs) but that's the beauty of it (laughs) that you realize that there is nothing to gain. Um, now someone would hear that and say, well, that's very disappointing. It's like, well, no, um, there's a, there's, there's a feeling that you get when you're able to let go of things. Um, because with all of our attachment, there's a suffering that comes along with that. And when I say suffering, I don't mean extreme suffering, but just, uh, um, uh, a disease that comes with that, with any form of attachment. So there's a price to pay for the attachments that you have, that we have. There's nothing wrong with the attachments because we're actually here to experience, um, to experience this. But as you latch on to things, uh, there's a price to pay for that. And you realize when you start to let go. And, um, and when I say attachments, it doesn't just have to be material things. It can just be your ego. Um, being defensive, um, being egoic, or, or or being any of those things. So when you start to let go of this thing that we've been holding on to, you start to realize that um, I've been suffering or I've been experiencing dukkha the whole time. Um, and this type of dukkha, even though it may not be extreme suffering, uh, it, but we all go through um, being uneasy or things being challenging and, and things of that sort. And a lot of this, a lot of that can be eliminated just by letting go. So I, I agree with that from that standpoint that if I'm able to let go, because resistance is the is the root of all suffering. So if I'm able to let go and I can um, um, reduce that resistance, um, nothing happens. But this nothing that I'm speaking of is uh, is uh, is 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 your true nature. So nothing needs to be gained, and there's something really, really. Um, um, really special about nothing being gained. So it's not like I let go of, of my negative stuff and then I attain money. It's not like that. That could happen. Um, but all that stuff is for the ego. It's for the, it's for the, the false self. And there's nothing wrong with that. You should have wealth. If you can, if you can attain that, hey, by all means, um, have that. Um, but when you let go of the self, this false self that we believe to be true and realize that you're absolutely nothingness, what is there to gain? Because when you experience absolute nothingness, when you experience the everythingness and the nothingness, which I'm saying is the same thing, uh, there's nothing to gain because all of that has always been you. So all the material stuff that that you've uh, attained and what everyone's attained, that's you. 
Um, the person who's trying to attain it, that's you. Um, the thing within you that we call the ego, you can say that's you as well. Um, not just my ego, but your ego and everyone's ego. It's all part of the same thing. And when you realize that you're absolutely everything, and I mean absolutely everything, when you realize you're the absolute of the absolute, what is there to gain? Nothing. And hence why I'm saying <laughs> I gained nothing from this, from that standpoint. Now, if I look at it from another standpoint, from the ego standpoint, was there something to gain? Well, yes. Um, if I'm no longer dealing with, with angry impulses anymore, I can work better with, with, uh, with people, with individuals. So that has an improvement with, to, my, um, uh, to my interpersonal skills. Well, that's a benefit because if I can improve my personal, my interpersonal skills and, you know, I collaborate with you um, and I'm easygoing and you're easygoing, uh, we can do a partnership and you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be hesitant with working with me because uh, it's, it's an easy partnership, an easygoing person. There's nothing, you know, um, there's nothing uh, challenging about that because I have met people <laughs> who are very challenging, uh, very difficult to work with. Um, not in most cases, but in uh, in challenging situations where um, that part of themselves will come out and it's really, really hard to work with certain people because that part of themselves hasn't been worked out. And they're humans. People go through stuff. So there's no blame on some of the stuff that they're holding back on, but that's some of the negative results that can come out of that. So you have you have that. And then I can move into um, emotional, say the emotional body. If I'm able to let go of the things that I'm holding on to emotionally, there's more to gain from that standpoint as well. Because if I'm able to let go, it's just say if I'm able to let go of, um, um, I don't know, um, discrimination, right? When I'm working with people, because I work with a lot of, uh, I work with a lot of youth, I don't have biases or my biases is a lot less when I'm working with youth. So I'm able to give more. So in that standpoint, what I have to gain is something I'm able to give. I'm able to give more love. And I'm realizing too, one thing I've realized, especially in the past few weeks, that I even have a more open heart with the with the kids that I'm working with is actually I just noticed it yesterday. I was working with a kid yesterday, and um, the, this kid actually like shit his pants. <laughs> like <laughs> that's what happened um, because he's a kid. He's uh, we believe he's on the spectrum, but he hasn't been diagnosed yet. And um, people were having a problem with him because he's um, he doesn't know how to uh, control himself in um, in in, uh, in social environments. And he seems like he's a baby, but he's actually a kindergarten. He's in kindergarten, but he comes off like he's a baby. And uh, he's such a this cute little kid. And um, he had an accident yesterday. And nothing about me and the kid changed uh, in that moment. He was able to get cleaned up. Someone was able to have him cleaned up. And I, after when he was given back uh, to, uh, in, our, in our care, I was still able to take care of him and, uh, and still treat him like he was my own. Um, I've always been able to do that, but there was something that was a little different in this case while working with this kid and also the other um, uh, people that I'm working with, um, where a lot of that goes away. You start to actually see people as you see your own children, and, and after a while, you can actually start to see other people as you see yourself. So it kind of goes back to like what Jesus said, um, love thy neighbor as thyself. And he, he means that literally, like love thy neighbor as, love your neighbor as you love uh, yourself. And um I can see that starting to happen with that or my heart is opening up even more to people who are outside of myself, outside of my family and things like that. So um, that's very important in regards to letting go so that you can gain. And then it goes up even further from that. But once you get to the, the causal levels and to the non-dual levels, there's nothing to gain. 
um, you've always been that from the very beginning. You're just having the experience of, of giving and receiving. And as you know, they say in the Christian tradition, it's better to give um, than to receive. And they, they actually mean that. You start to understand those words when, they, when it says it's actually better to give than to receive. That it's better to give than to receive. Um, because our job here, at least my, I believe that our purpose here is to give as much as we can give. And in return, the universe is always yours anyway. So you always get that in return. It doesn't mean that someone has to help you along the way or do anything special for you. You just realize that, gosh, I breathe in air. I breathe in. That's me taking. And I breathe out. I give back to the universe. I give back to uh, especially our, our plant neighbors that rely on, on carbon dioxide to survive. And we rely on their uh, uh, on their oxygen for us to survive. So there's always a, a, a given exchange, right? So at that physical level. But of course, when you come to the spiritual levels, especially when we're talking about spiritual enlightenment, there's nothing to gain. And that's the beauty of that. So in that sense, that's where the gaining comes in. I'd like to talk a bit about others who've used the energy. You write about that quite a bit in the book here. And uh, I'm curious um, about some of the contexts in which you've deployed this uh, method. Uh, you write in, in the book about, you mentioned it today actually, about schools, uh, youth, prisons, and so on. And you write things like, uh, to quote you, Unigy has been shown to improve cognitive function and reduce stress levels. That was in a prison context. With the youth you've written, Unigy has also been shown to be beneficial to children with ADHD and autism. And when you say it has been shown, I don't suppose you mean in some sort of scientific studies. You mean in your experience of working with people and hearing their reports. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. From, hearing, from hearing their reports. Um, so I'm curious. Well, I'm curious then about the whole range. So you're talking about improve, you know, reducing stress and uh, improving cognitive function and so on. And now you've also been talking all the way up to Bodhi, uh, enlightenment, however we define that, the different, different kinds of levels. Mm-hmm. that you experienced. So I'm curious, uh, could you give a sense of the span of progress, I suppose, or effects that your your uh, students have your students have, have experienced using energy? Yeah, it's been a, lot, a number of things. People have reported um, that their leadership skills have improved. Um, they've always had strong leadership skills, but they jumped up to a different category of leadership. Um, just uh, And that could be because of Delta. Delta is believed to be um, the, 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 the state where people improve their leadership skills, their charisma, the level of charisma. And also that's the state where people start to um, activate Kundalini. Uh, so that could be um, uh, attributed to Delta. Um, for uh, other of my clients, for some of my other clients, it was um, impulse control. A lot of that because I work in marginalized communities. So for a lot of, for some of my clients, it was impulses, learning how to control their impulses. And they uh, believed that when they were using energy over time, they realized, they didn't realize it at the time, but over time they realized, oh gosh, I don't get, um, I'm not I'm not as impulsive anymore when confronted with challenging situations. Um, another one that comes up a lot is a lot of them end up having like, um, I wouldn't say spiritual experiences, some has, um, but just these weird spontaneous experiences that would happen to them. A lot of people reported that and they were really, really excited about those type of things. So like, you know, they woke up one day and had this uh, delight, this this type of experience um, that stayed on their mind all day. Um, they realized for the first time how beautiful everything is. Um, some 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 of my participants, they end up having visions. Some people are really, really good at, with that. When they use the energy, they have these uh, beautiful visions and they just want to talk about them. Uh, others, others, um, 
trying to think. Others have claimed uh, that they were doing, say, for example, psychotherapy, and they were doing, and the psychotherapy was going places. It, it had it had some um, it had some uh, results there, but they realized when they started using the energy that they start to really tap into uh, what was being taught in their psychotherapy classes, and they were able to tap into their into their inner selves a lot more um, than without than the practice alone. So by using energy in combination with the th uh, psychotherapy practices have improved. Um, and the list goes on of all the different things. Some people have claimed that um, energy has deepened their, their actual um, personal meditation or yoga practices that they already have. Um, other people claim, um, other uh, some people just became more spiritual, right? So they already, had, they already had a level of that prior to the program, but they realized as they're, as they're using energy, um, they became more spiritual. Uh, became more spiritual. In, they became more spiritual in their individual selves. Uh, others have um, people have talked a lot about their catharsis that's come up to the surface, um, and um, people also talk about tapping into moments of bliss, and the list goes on of all the different things. But I noticed with some people that um, well, when using energy, uh, their work improvement, uh, their work performance started to improve or the school, the, the work that they're doing in school uh, started to improve, or they started to come up with better ideas, became, started to become more innovative and, and things of that nature. So uh, people come back all the time reporting these things uh, to me, with, uh, of things that's been happening uh, with their meditation. And of course, we have a group of other people who combine energy with uh, shamanic practices and uh, psychedelics and things of that sort, and have came back and said, oh my gosh, I've never experienced a psychedelic experience like that until I started using uh, energy. So the, um, the list goes on of all the different things that people have said. Uh, when it came, when it comes to the, the school system, because I worked with a lot of them hands-on, uh, I've watched personally the improvement of, of a lot of the students that started to work better with other students, uh, started to be a little better at math, um, their spelling skills start to improve, their reading skills started to improve and things of that sort. Unfortunately though, a lot of these students weren't able to use the energy every day. They were only able to use the energy once a week for a six-week period or eight-week period. So the results in that, in, in that standpoint are slower. But for those, for the small group of people that, that did the energy on a regular basis, um, that's what their parents reported. Or these are things that I've seen because I was working with them personally and I saw the change in their behavior over time. Oh, and also when it comes to the prison system, uh, I have a quick story on that. Um, the last person that I worked with, I, I, I just recently worked with, uh, I worked with them for a year. So we just ended our, our sessions two months ago, maybe probably about two months ago. And uh, during our last session, uh, well, I should say in the beginning when I started working with him, uh, he's a guy that he's, um, he's, in the, he's in the system. He's just been released. He's, been, he's just been released a month ago, three weeks ago, a month ago. And um, I believe he was in for um, attempted murder, something along that sort. But he's um, a juvenile. So under in, in our law in Canada anyway, or uh, at least in Ontario, um, we have laws for that. So if you're a juvenile, you'd be tried as a, you wouldn't be tried as a, as an adult. So there's certain things that happened in his life where he ended up in, in the, in the legal system. So when I was given the assignment to work with him, um, he was very resistant to meditation and things of that sort. So in the beginning I said, Hey, I have this technology that I use. I'd like to use this with my clients. Um, if you like, which will lessen our, our our conversation time. You can put this on for ten minutes, and um, you know, and after ten minutes, I'll take it off. But I never made him do it for an hour. So I said, I'll just give you about ten minutes and see where this goes. He said, "Okay, I'll I'll try it." 
So you put on the headphones and then he'll start to get irritated. It's like, this thing is annoying me. I can't keep these things on. And he will just, he will ask if he can take them off. He was really polite about it. So can I take these things off? And it'll be like, you just have two minutes left. He's like, okay. And you sit there for an extra two minutes and you'll be like, can I take them off now? I say, you can take off the headphones. We try to do this every two weeks. So I would meet with him once every two weeks. After a while, he said, Morgan, uh, I, I hate doing this. Can I stop doing the meditation? And I said, I really like if you would do it, but that's fine. You can stop doing it. So he said, okay, great. So he said, can we continue our conversations though for our, our, our sessions? And I said, yeah, let's, let's do that. So what I decided to do is I have another version of energy, which is ultrasonic energy, where it's um, higher pitch frequencies. So remember with, with the energy classic, we talk about the lower carrier uh, frequencies, but with the ultrasonic ones, they're high pitch frequencies to the point where you can't hear them. The human ear doesn't are able to pick them up. Like dogs can pick them up, but humans can't necessarily pick them up because their pitch frequency is close to 20,000 hertz. So you can play them through speakers and you wouldn't even know they're there unless um, you're very sensitive to the to the sound. Some people can sense them. So we would do our sessions every two weeks. And without his knowledge, I would um, bring my laptop and I would play ultrasonic energy. And I would play it for an hour just during our conversations. We wouldn't talk about meditation, none of those things. We just talk about his life for an hour. And I did this every two weeks for 12 months. At the end of the 12 months, um, he was excited because he was about to be released. He was going to be released in about a month's time from the, la the last uh, session that we had. And um, he talked about uh, how a lot of the stuff that he was going through improved. Because when I met him, he was, go he was uh, going through some levels of depression um, and isolation and um, anger and things of that sort. And he kept on raving about how a lot of these things have changed. He's like, I don't even know why. It's like a lot of these things have changed. I'm not as angry anymore. Um, I'm not as dis uh, depressed as I used to be. All this stuff has changed. And I stopped him and I said, hey, you see the laptop right there at the table? He goes, yeah, what about it? He goes, you know what's happening right now as we speak? He's like, no. I said, I'm playing the meditation that you didn't want to listen to. He goes, what do you mean? I go, every time I've met with you <laughs> for the last 12 months, I've been playing the silent ver version of this technology that I've been claiming that works with people. And you've been listening to this every two weeks for an hour for 12 months. He goes, no way. You mean you tricked me? I'm like, oh yeah, in a sense I did. <laughs> he got, he looked at me and he got up and he gave me the biggest hug and he said, thank you. And that was my last um, personal, my, my uh, our last physical encounter um, uh, uh, from that day. And that's uh, our personal story with um, what this type of stuff can do. And this with him, this is with him without using headphones. So we we're just playing it out through speakers uh, without his knowledge. And he would just sit there and just have conversations. And my belief is that played a role in um, in his um, in his uh, his uh, progress in regards to uh, his emotional health. So, which is really really good news. What's really good about that is um, he doesn't have to meet with me anymore. Our sessions are over, but he called me up because I gave him my work my, my work number, and he called me up uh, two weeks ago. He called me on a holiday on Labor Day, La Labor Day Monday, and he said, "Hey, I'm, I've been released from detention because he was actually in a, in a detention center." He said, I've been released from detention and I'm now in a transitional house and I'm here for about a good two years. Is there any way we can still have our meetings? And I said, of course, we can continue our meetings. So we're working now to work out a schedule where I would meet with him, probably continue our meetings every two weeks or maybe once every month while he's in the transitional house before he moves into um, being able to stand on his own two feet and all that. So that was just beautiful to hear that he still wanted to continue these sessions, even though he doesn't have to. That's an interesting uh, aspect of you, I think, is that you're applying so much of your 
meditation practice, both in terms of using this technology, but also in terms of situations of service. That's quite interesting, and I think not necessarily a given. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where these are things I don't have to do. Um, as a as a as a provincial as a provincial youth outreach worker, I've been told by my old supervisor that apply your strengths to this to this program, uh, because if you meet with the, the different types of youth workers within my program, we're all different. Some of us are very athletic, some of us are more you know spoken word poetic, and they would apply that. Some like to help people a lot when it comes to job searching, um, housing, and things of that nature. And then you have myself and another youth worker where we have tried to apply holistic practices like meditation. And for my other um, uh, colleague who's in the same program, she does a lot of traditional methods with her clients. Um, so it, it's just nice that I, have a, that I have a job where I'm able to be flexible, where I can apply all these different things within my job. Because um, it, it's not, it's not going to be that way with other people's uh, line of work. But I've been blessed that I was able to incorporate these things uh, within to my line of work, which has been a blessing because I've watched, um, I've watched the fruits uh, of, of my own labor, to be, to be honest. And um, now that a lot of these people that I've been working with are now in their 30s, and I'm watching them achieve uh, levels of greatness. And uh, if you talk to them directly, if you talk to them individually, uh, one of the people that they will mention is myself and the meditation that they did with me or the, the meditation that I gave them that they had to apply into their everyday practice. Again, not everyone did all 13 levels, but um, there were people that were doing this religiously for at least level one, two, or three. And um, when they they talk, they say, one of the people I want to thank is Morgan and the energy program. And, and it's just great to hear every time I hear it. Um, I'm sure other people look at it and say, well, we don't know if it's the energy. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 you know, that's, that's, that, that makes sense. I get that. Um, but, uh, there's so many people that I've worked with and I'm, I'm talking about, gosh, how many people have I worked with at this point? A thousand? <laughs> I'm not saying a thousand people use the energy, but, um, I've, I've interacted with, um, at least a thousand people in regards to per personal development. And out of those thousand people, probably at least a good 500 people have, um, has used this program in different ways, whether it's ultrasonic energy, uh, the energy classic, um, um, uh, what's the other one that I have, um, audio ugh, i can't remember the name of my own stuff but it'll come to me in a second <laughs> um there's a, a energy gamma energy lambda that people work with because they have different needs and they would work with these things because some people say i just want to improve my um level of compassion and empathy and they would i would give them energy gamma and energy gamma i don't i don't recommend that people use it every day but at least twice a week you can use energy gamma to tap into those faster brain waves and see what it does for you and um and the list goes on with all the people colleagues I've worked with teachers and um I don't know if I talked about this on air with you but um I was doing um the energy with teachers during their uh, professional activity days sorry professional development days and uh, they would bring me in and we would do these energy sessions and on one occasion uh, we had two teachers that were listening to energy and as they were listening 20 minutes in they pulled out their headphones jumped up started running around the classrooms and oh this is insane. Oh my gosh, what am I feeling right now? Two teachers simultaneously just jumped up, started running around and raving about what they were experiencing. And that was cool to see because at that point in time, I'd never seen that before. Um, so I, I remember that taking place and I was like, oh gosh, I didn't know that was going to happen within a 20 minute, minute period. Uh, and uh, shortly after I was um, invited onto a retreat where I had to uh, uh, implement energy within their retreat um, sessions. And it happened again with one of the participants there. He 
literally pulled off his headphones, ran around the whole room and said, oh my gosh, whatever this is, I want more of that. And so it's just a pleasure to see when these type of things happen. Uh, so I've seen firsthand and also other people have seen that uh, when you use things like, Unity's not the only one, there's other, there are other um, uh, brainwave uh, programs that people can do. But uh, I've personally seen when people use energy of what can happen in these states of consciousness and also watch people as they grew from people who I met when they were like maybe 22, 21 years old. And now they're doing their 30s. And some of them are now parents. And some of them are now actually giving their children energy as well. So I just had a, a participant um, who has been using energy for years. She just gave birth to her first um, child. And <laughs> her whole thing is, um, how can I implement energy? With my children with, with my child so she's used unity throughout her whole pregnancy and now she wants to implement that um, within her um, practice with her child it's, it's the same thing that i did with my children so when i started doing um brainwave entrainment um i did that with my two boys my two boys were two and four years old at the time but my daughter has been using unity from the very beginning from from before she was born actually and um and she still uses unity now she's now 16. and so uh, i've watched all the beautiful things that um meditation itself has done for people throughout the years and it's just a blessing to see well thank you very much for coming back to the podcast here and talking about bodhi in the brain your latest in the brain. Book, <laughs> yeah, all about the energy program so where can people find the energy program and where can people buy your new book bodhi in the brain well bodhi in the brain is available on amazon amazon barnes and noble and many other well, several other uh book outlets but uh, specifically uh, Amazon and, and um, um, uh, Barnes and Noble, people can find it there. Uh, in regards to Unergy, Unergy is still not actually officially available to everyone, but anyone can have access to it. So in the meantime, because it's still a grassroots project. So in the meantime, if people are interested in Unergy, um, uh, again, if you go, if you go, if they go into my link tree, there's a link to that um, because the link is a little complicated, but there's a link to that. So they can, um, people have access to it. Uh, there's a fee for it, of course, and people can purchase the first level of, of energy. And at the, after they finish with the first level, which is about four to six months of practice, they can continue on to the deeper levels. So each level has a, a deeper carrier frequency, which means it has a higher amplitude. The reason why there's 13 levels, but I didn't mention that is because if I gave you level 13, that would be, that could be, that could go wrong for you uh, because you have to purge a certain amount of um, karmic goop within your nadis uh to to carry on so that's why we start you off light and then we work our way into the deeper uh carrier frequencies so that if you chose to go through all 13 levels it would probably take you over 13 years to do um you could do that but you can stop at any time you can stop at level one you can carry on to level two you can stop there if you want um but that's why there's 13 levels because it takes a, a while to purge all that um unconscious material that's trapped within your subtle bodies so that's why there's 13 levels but if you go into my link tree um, all those links are there so they can have access to um, reading what the energy program is about. You can purchase uh, the, um, the energy purge, which is the, the pre-level, and then you can move on to level one, which is uh, rising level one, and it, it moves on to all the different other levels as time goes on. So people can do it that way. Uh, so, Or you can just hit me up directly, email me. Um, I'm available for those that I've met through your, your podcast, for those who are in direct contact with me now, and I, I thank you for that. Because uh, we have a group of people who are using energy and they, they're they talking to me on, on a daily basis or a weekly basis, pretty much asking questions, um, telling me about their personal lives and how they're um, bringing energy into their lives, which is really, really cool. 
And there's other people who have purchased the energy. I've never heard from them. I don't know who they are, <laughs> uh, what they look like or anything like that. But there's a good, good amount of people who I met here um, uh, who have been using energy since I we did our first one, I think it was back in September, November, October of last year, around that time, uh, which is re really, really cool. So um, people can get direct, can get a hold of me directly. Uh, I'm at innovativecoaching at gmail.com. Anyone, anyone can email me. I respond to everyone. Um, if I don't respond to you, it's because I probably didn't see your email. Maybe it got trapped, thrown into my um, into into spam or something. I don't know, into um, junk mail. Um, but I respond to everyone. Uh, feel free to contact me. Ask me any questions about the energy program or about meditation itself, or even about spiritual awakening. Many of the people have already done that. So I just want to give a shout out to Mo and um, Gosh and Derek and um, um, Deborah. And uh, oh gosh, the list goes Kurt. <laughs> and uh, and um, oh gosh, there's one person I want to give a shout out to. What's his name again? Oh gosh, he's not coming to. Me. I wanted to give someone a quick shout out, but some a friend, uh, someone who I just recently met out of India. Um, uh, so uh, and he just started with the program as well. What's his name again? Oh my gosh, I I apologize for that. But I just want to say thank you for everyone uh, who have uh, been in contact with me and been using the Energy Program. And again, I don't want people to look for a quick fix. Uh, it's not a magic bullet. This, just like traditional meditation, the stuff takes time. The stuff that comes out of that happens faster because you're consistent in this, uh, in these brainwave states, which uh, moves you faster along the line. But you still have to put in the same amount of time. It's not like you're gonna um, use your energy and you're gonna become the Buddha the very next day. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> you still got to put in your time um, because even though uh, the stuff happens in a shorter period of time, you're still putting in your, your body, your brain, your nervous system still has to evolve it still has to uh purge it still has to evolve it still has to read uh refine itself that takes the same amount of time so all of that still needs to be done so don't do this because you're looking for this quick experience where you want to have this peak experience of whatever it is that people told you those things take time and those things comes with a price and don't get me wrong the price is well worth it but you have to be mentally emotionally prepared for that and if you're willing to go down that road hit me up because that's what I'm here for to help people through that. So it's not like I have thousands and thousands of people using this program because that's not what people are looking for um, majority of the times. But for those who are like serious seekers and want to try something like this, contact me. I'm here. Um, I'm in this for the long run. I'm here to help anyone, anywhere. I don't care who you are, where you are. If I can, if I can support you, I'm here to support you. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm willing to do. Um, of course I do this through energy. And, um, but if you, if you pick up the book, Boating the Brain, all the questions that you usually would want to ask, most of it is in the book. And whatever is in the book, feel free. You can ask me to elaborate on anything that I wrote in the book and, and, and all that. All of that is available. And um, Mo and all those guys know that even if you hit me up 2 o'clock in the morning, if I'm awake, I respond. And if not, I, I, I pick up that message the very next morning and I respond back to whoever it is that's um, um, connecting with me, whether it's on through uh, Gmail, um, WhatsApp, um, Instagram. Uh, I'm, I'm there. So yeah, I'm here. Morgan O. Smith, congratulations on your publication, Bodie in the Brain, and thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you as always. Thank you for listening to another Guru Viking podcast. For more interviews like these, as well as articles, videos, and guided meditations, visit www.guruviking.com.